Computer, initialize Holosuite. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 22, The Wire. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely, and as I say every week, please do find us and follow us because we are a good time, and you will enjoy the things we share on the various social medias. I'm particularly more active on Twitter than Facebook, but hey, you know, it's all the same. So join us and share your thoughts, opinions, comments, and we'll have a good time together. But yes, yeah. as David said, tonight we are here to talk about The Wire, but before we dive into that, David, how has your week been? It's been fine. Uh, it was a pretty nice day at work the other day. Had a nice big fat sale. It was nice to have that because things are kind of slowing down here. It's, you know, it's the beginning of summer. You know, with with the inflation in the economy, it's a little concerning that uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe people aren't going to be buying things for a bit. You know, they're going to slow down their purchases for a while, so that might affect business. So it's nice to start uh, the new month kind of ahead. Um, but hopefully that's not going to be, uh, the only, <laughs> only positive note for the month of July. We'll see. Uh, other than that, um, you and I had been talking a little bit about the show Westworld. Um, yes. Well, uh, you had said you might be interested in watching it. You asked me what I thought and I told you that season one's great. Uh, I had listened to a, a podcast and the guys were talking about how, yeah, seasons two and three aren't as good. Um, and I, Totally agree. The second and third seasons definitely have uh, um, spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> well, they just they're just not as good. I I, don't, I won't go to break any spoilers, but um, when you asked me about it, it's like, yeah, season one's great. Definitely should watch that. If you you know continue on to seasons two and three, uh, definitely would love to talk with you about it because there's stuff in season three that I'm like, I want to talk about it with somebody. And so if you watch it, it'll be like, oh, I can finally share my thoughts. Um, and I, I'm still sticking with it. Uh, part of the reason I'm sticking with it is because I like Jonathan Nolan, who is also known as Jonah Nolan. Uh, he's the brother of Christopher Nolan, the director of like The Dark Knight and mm -hmm. Inception. And I love those movies. And I know that a lot of the successful films that Christopher Nolan has made have been in part due to uh, the input of Jonah Nolan. And Person of Interest is personally my favorite show of all time. Yeah. And uh, so Jonathan Nolan, Person of Interest, Dark Knight. Westworld. Westworld season one is fantastic. There are some critiques I would make of seasons two and three. And I did just rewatch season three because season four, the first episode just dropped about a week ago. Okay. So um, I do want to watch that uh, new season. Uh, I, I was rewatching. Uh, so I haven't yet watched the first episode of the, se of the fourth season, but looking forward to doing that, seeing if they can bring back the magic. I feel like basically what they've tried doing is they, um, they have so many ideas that they're trying to work out, but um, when you when you mistake plot for character or you lose track of your characters in order to get plot going, uh, that can sometimes cause problems because character is always more interesting than plot. Um, at least 
long lasting, I would say, you know, you, you want to follow your characters as they go through journeys. Right. And, um, I feel like they kind of lost track of that a little bit, but we'll see if they can pull it together again. So two things. First, I did try to watch Westworld, and unfortunately, I did not make it five minutes into the first episode. I couldn't even tell you what I watched. Um, and it's not because it was boring, right. but I chose the worst time to watch it. Right. I was extremely tired, and I had been running around, <laughs> and I thought that, you know, I could handle this. You know, I was I knew I was tired, and instead of, like, going to sleep, I was just like... No, I said I was going to watch this. Let me commit to this and watch it. And I mean, seriously, I it was it's a it's a haze as to what it was I even saw. Right. Because once I got myself nice and comfortable, you know, and was ready to sit and watch it, I was out. So <laughs> so there was nothing, nothing. So I do plan. Right. And then of course I woke up and saw that like it had played through like six episodes, and I was like, what is going on? You know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm realizing, of course, since I'm watching this on HBO, it's, it's not like on you know Netflix where after three it stops and it's, you know, you, are, are you yeah. Still there? yeah. This thing was just gonna keep on rolling until the wheels come off, I guess. You know, so I've got to go back, which is fine because again, I didn't watch anything, so it's not like I have to figure out where I was or anything like that. You know, right? Um, <clears throat> second, to anyone who has not seen Person of Interest, you should go watch it. Yeah. I had never seen it, and David introduced the show to me when we uh, still worked together. This is several years ago. What's that? We're coming up on what? Four years? Five years? Oh since we gosh, no, man, it's five because uh, yeah, I've been at my current company for almost three, and I think you maybe five. Okay, maybe five. I think it's five years because I because yeah. I left and you were still at Mattress yeah. Room for at least another year. At least another year. Yeah, least I feel another, like yeah. it was a year and a half before yeah. I was out. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I would say that we, we really worked together for the first time in like 2017. So yeah, it's been like five years. <laughs> so either way, it's just, it's been a while is the point. And right. when we worked together, he introduced the show to me and I knew absolutely nothing about it. Um, but became like an instant fan as, as we've discussed on several different episodes here, I have a, you know, a three episode rule. You get three episodes and if you don't hook me by three, I'm not going to watch it again. Right. Uh, I stand by that. I, I recommend it to other people. If the show can't hook you in three, it's not worth your time. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it really has proven invaluable for me. And this show, it had me hooked by the middle of the first episode. It was great. Yeah. Oh yeah, and um, now there there are some drop episode. there are some drop offs. Yeah, there are some drop offs. There are some you know little kind of convoluted things here and there. But it's overall it's a very solid show, which for me was was refreshing considering a lot of the shows that were out around that time were definitely not that. There was this right. whole this there was a desire to like start stories in the middle and then. And then uh, do a series of flashbacks and prequels and stuff that was going on. I like the fact that we were essentially getting a story from the beginning. You know, yes. I mean, they did do a little bit of flashbacky stuff to kind of tell you, you know, why certain characters were, you know, who the they, way were. they were, right, yeah. or who they were. But it was not so much the way that like some other shows where you will again. They start you with these characters who are fully formed, fully fleshed out, and all of a sudden you're seeing whole prequel seasons where you're seeing them in like childhood and stuff, which makes no sense. It's like we right. don't, we don't care, right? Like right. we all know childhood sucks. Okay, move on. We don't need to keep seeing the trauma <laughs> over right. and over again, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so anyway, I mean, it was it was very well written, um, very well acted. Um, in yeah, particular John Caviezel and yeah, Michael. Yeah. Uh, oh. 
crud. Ah, look at the cast. Keep talking. Look at the cast. But you, yeah, he can do that for you. But yeah, Jim Caviezel and of course the incredibly talented uh, Taraji P. Henson. We yes. Became oh, an I love her. Instant fan. She and I mean I've watched. I had never seen her in anything before this. Yeah. But since watching her in this, I've gone back and watched other things with her in it because yeah. of this show because right. she did such a great and she never fails to disappoint even if the movie itself is a bit of a clunker she is great yeah in the movie oh so, right. so um true. yeah we saw that one movie together i forget what it was called but it was wasn't uh, it proud mary something like that i don't know she's um what was her character she was like she a, was like a, a former hit woman yeah uh, yeah that was proud mary yeah, and like there's a kid that gets involved, and she decides, like last minute, like not to, not to kill him, but to protect him, and she just goes on this kind of like rampage of doing all this stuff. Right. And um, again, a movie that would have been like very kind of you know one dimensional at best. Right. She elevates. Like she was actually she was surprisingly funny. She you know obviously handled the action scenes very well, and yes. I mean she just she really sh like was the star. She was oh, the yeah. draw of that movie and well, made it highly entertaining. At least for me when I oh watched well it. yeah I mean I I mean we didn't talk about this as much I guess recently, but it's just as I talk about it, I think about it, like the reason she's so great because she's the moral center of the show. She is the okay, one who's so like you're talking about. You're talking about person of interest now. Just to clarify, oh yeah, that yeah, yeah. was a very terrible oh, segue, David. <laughs> oh, sorry. I just meant. To, I just meant. Yeah, like she's the reason she's great is because she's the moral center of the show, um, and it's Michael Emerson who plays Finch. Um, that's who I meant. I was. I knew it was a Michael. I can't remember his last name. Uh, he was uh, originally famous for his participation in Lost. He was the one of the villains in Lost. But um, anyway. Yeah, person of interest is great. I would say in part because it asked the question: What if Bruce Wayne and Batman were two different people? Because <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that's part of the like relationship between the two main characters. And yeah. then Taraji P. Henson is basically, you know, Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon, yeah. So she's, uh, she's Commissioner Gordon, but yeah. she's like. She's more badass. Like, I, I yes. can't explain it because you know, you know, Gordon already has his own little bit of badassery for sure. Right. But she is, she is more. She's definitely more hands on. Yeah. Um, and she's, I feel like she's way more heartfelt. Like I, oh, I understood yeah. her character way more. You know. Yes. Um, and then of course, you know, her, her final scenes. Not, not to give any spoilers, but her final scenes, like, again, even it just. It was so impactful on yeah. everything else that came both before it and after. Like, right? It, it was just great. So again, if you have not seen Person of Interest, you should go watch it. Right. Um, when David says it's his favorite show of all time, I mean that's a that's a great pick. It's not mine, right? But um, you know, I'm obviously biased towards other things. But well, I just want to say part of the reason it's mine is because I was there from the beginning. I'm sure you would agree with that. Like, you were there from the beginning of probably Deep Space Nine. It was your show on a certain level. I know you kind of had yeah. a, a, a kind of love hate relationship at first, but yeah, like that was a show. I was there for the first episode because I knew it was Jonathan yeah. Nolan, and then I was able to like be a fan from the beginning. Yeah, uh, yeah. So my show for that would definitely be the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. When right. it came out, I was there from the beginning. Right. I was there from even before the beginning. I like uh, I think I've told the story several times, you know, like this is back when the sci-fi channel was actually a channel and they used to do all these um like three-parter mini-series movie things um every month that they would have a different one. And there's like they did Dune back in like 
98. Early, it was like 2002 or something, yeah. I think, actually. But yeah. yeah, so they did Dune. They did Wizard of Oz. It was a reimagining of the Wizard of Oz anyway. And then, you know, one day they announced they were going to do Battlestar Galactica. Now, I didn't know. At that time when they announced it, I knew nothing about Battlestar Galactica. So, you know, quick in internet search. And I found this campy... Uh, mid 70s early 80s show and it it looked bad without even like watching it i was like how did i miss this in all of my my love of sci-fi how did i miss this show right so i did go back and try to watch some of those episodes and to me honestly they were bad like i was like (laughs) i was just thinking to myself who's basing a reboot off of this show Right. And I wasn't going to watch it, but then the night before the miniseries of the reboot was supposed to air, they had various actors and you know, like fans and stuff who had already seen it were doing like little mini interviews, right? And they right. were talking about, oh, I was a fan of the old show. I couldn't wait for this new one. It wasn't the same. It was so good. It's so this, so that, like all that kind of stuff, right? And you could take that with whatever you want, little fan service here and there. But what won me over to make me want to watch it was Edward James Olmos. He came on, he was dead last in all of this. He came on, and I've always loved Edward James Olmos. I can't explain it. I haven't, I can't even really think of like a whole, whole lot of things he's been in that I've like watched, but the few that I've watched, he was always an impressive actor. He always delivered very dynamic command performances, you know? Right. So finding out he was involved was already a bit of a draw. But then he gave that last message and he said, listen, if you have watched or seen any of the original Battlestar Galactica, do not watch this show. Because you're not, <laughs> he, you're not he said, because you're not going to like it. Right. He said, this is not, it's not that. This is totally different. The, right. You've changed a lot of things and it's going to upset you. If you are a fan looking for that, this is not it. You're not going to like it. Right. And that was enough for me to want to go and watch the show. Right. So I did. And even though that miniseries does start a bit slow, it worked for me. And I right. watched it all. And even after I watched it, like, cause they, they did the miniseries and they did not announce there was going to be a show afterwards. There was just, that was it. The miniseries was it. And so I watched it. And when it was over, I was like, I would really like to see more of this. Right. And so I was looking around, and there were no announcements, nothing like coming next year, season one, nothing. As far as we could tell, that three-part miniseries was it. And I was like, you know what? That'd be a shame if that was it. They gave you such a great premise. I would really like to see more more of this. And I was wondering if they were going to do like more like miniseries, like what, whatever. Nothing. And then finally, seemingly out of nowhere, they announced season one, Battlestar. And I was ready. And I I kid you not... (laughs) I watched every single episode the night that it premiered. I yes. never missed one. Yeah. Even when I was, in, you know, I was in college when the show came out. Yep. And I can remember nights, you know, like, you know, because I played football in college. So there'd be nights like after games or whatever. Right. And everybody's like, oh, let's go out. Let's go party, whatever. And I'd be like, yeah, sure, I'm down. Right after Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> and I I would not leave my room. So from that for that hour block, I did not leave my dorm room. And people thought I was so weird. Like, you're really not gonna go to the party? So and so is asking about you. No. <laughs> Battlestar. And I did not miss a one. Right. So right. and then even when it ended, I promptly went out. Like I, I mean, seriously, like when the last episode aired, went out, went straight to Walmart, found the uh collection of all the seasons bought them so one time in my life i've ever done that went out and immediately bought them right 
And then I've watched them so many times. I've watched them with other people so many times. I've recommended the show so many times. They should really just hire me as their like PR person because consistently for the past like <laughs> 15 years, I have plugged this show. The only question is if your advocacy for Star Trek and your advocacy for Battlestar Galactica would in any way conflict with each other. I don't know. Would that be a problem? Um, not necessarily because, I, you know, <laughs> I mean, Battlestar is definitely grittier than um, Star Trek, Star Trek sure. in a lot of ways, you know. Um, but the great thing about it is a lot of what Battlestar is owes, owes its success to the writers and directors and even some of the executive producers cutting their teeth on Deep Space Nine. You know, um, Ronald yeah. Moore, you know, who is like, who's, you know, the reimagining of Battlestar was like his his baby, his brainchild. He wrote and directed a lot of the episodes of Deep Space Nine. And he frequently talked about how there were so many things he wished he could have done more, pushed the envelope more, been, you know, been a bit harder here and there, but couldn't because they were constrained by both the legacy of Gene Roddenberry and, of course, what Paramount would allow. Right. So, you know, Battlestar, in a way, is his his ability to step out of that shadow and really kind of do a show his way. Right. You know, um, and there are a lot of elements to the show that to the two shows that are very similar. And as our podcast continues, don't worry, I will be sure to make those uh, connections <laughs> for you so that you can you can see the 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 path right. that Ron Moore and some of the writers and stuff took from Battlestar to um or from Deep Space Nine to Battlestar. Right. And the same is true of other shows like um, The Expanse on uh, Amazon. The Expanse is yet another show that uh, a lot of the writers, directors that worked on that show were a part of Deep Space Nine, were a part of Battlestar Galactica. You know, they you know they left their mark, and it shows in the way that the shows that came after were so successful, the things that they kind of took and honed and then did elsewhere. And those shows are are critically successful. And I think they're very important to continuing sci-fi storytelling. Right. So um, hopefully those guys are somewhere huddled together working on their next great idea that I can fawn over uh, <laughs> <laughs> for the next few years. Yeah. But as always, I like to say, we are not here to talk about person of interest, Farscape and all the rest of them. Uh, <laughs> but uh we are here to talk about Deep Space Nine, and the episode tonight is The Wire. So would you like to give a quick recap, or do you want me to do it? You do it this time. Go for it. <laughs> All right. So, yes, as always, we're just going to be hitting the highlights here, guys. Um, if you want to get the full details, you are free to go and watch the episode, which you should have done anyway before listening to us. So, in fact, go pause this now before you hear my recap. Go watch it and come back and see if I get it right. Right. But anyway, the episode starts with Garrick and Bashir walking through the promenade. They are on their way to get something to eat. And there Garrick is talking about some aspect of his business and he just kinda very mundane conversation. They get they walk over to the replomat, which is another eating area on the promenade, but it's like packed. It's just overflowing with people, so they're not gonna be able to get through the line anytime soon. This seems to really kind of annoy Garrick and you know Bashir suggests they go to Quark's or to the Klingon restaurant both of which meet with disapproval from um, Garrick who also seems to be suffering from some kind of pain and this yes. is something that um, Bashir remarks on as well but 
Garrick dismisses him and basically just in utter frustration says, you know what? Screw lunch. I'm out of here. Right. He leaves. We see Kira very briefly expressing concern because no one's really seen Garrick act this way before, but that's about it. Right. Um, next, we see Bashir and Dax in um, Dax's quarters. She's got a dying plant. Some looks like a giant eggplant with spikes on it. <laughs> and she's trying to figure out why it's dying. They can't ask Keiko because Keiko is not on the station. And so she's hoping that, uh, that Bashir can help her figure out what's wrong with it. He does, and then he basically kind of laments to her that he's having an issue with Garrick. Like, he's able to solve this plant issue, but he can't cure his humanoid patient. They begin to talk about Garrick and what they really know about him and realizing they don't know right. a whole lot about the guy. Um, but still, Bashir's like, well, I feel like he should at least trust me in medical matters. But, you know, Dax kind of correctly points out, you know, right. why, why, should he, why should he trust you? You know, you, there's not a real reason to. Um, so then, after solving Dax's problem, Bashir goes back to the infirmary where he is treating Commander Sisko for, um, I think, some jaw pain. And he quickly treats the commander who leaves, and as he's leaving, O'Brien walks in. Apparently, O'Brien uh, Bashir has requested O'Brien to help him get access to the old Cardassian medical files. That doesn't work um, because the Cardassians are very thorough in their sweep of information. He tells them it's going to take him several weeks to do it, but... That's not good. He wants an answer now, yeah. so they kind of leave it at that. Um, at this time, Quark then calls uh, Bashir over the uh, comlink and is basically like, "We need you in the in the in my bar right away. Something's wrong with Garrick." He gets over there, and Garrick is like hammered. He's just completely drunk, but he is, you know, continuing to drink. Um, turns out he's intentionally trying to numb himself. It seems he's being a typical drunk patron and so Bashir um, tries to persuade him to leave um, this doesn't go very well which leads to them kind of fighting in the doorway of Quark's which leads to him collapsing um, he's taken to the infirmary where it's discovered that he's got some kind of uh, device uh -huh. implanted in his brain and it's wearing away at uh, right. his nerve endings and everything else a lot of speculation as to what the device is, but, you know, Garrick, of course, is being Garrick and he's not talking. He leaves the infirmary and we see later on, again, Bashir's still upset, so he's kind of like stalking Garrick a little bit. We see Garrick meets with Cork in order to arrange getting something. Um, he's not really sure what it is. Bashir tries to confront Garrick, or not Garrick, but Cork. Quark, of course, yep. obfuscates because that's what yep. he does. He doesn't tell him anything, sends the doctor on his way. Um, uh, Bashir then runs into Odo, kind of tells him the same situation, and Odo is just like, you know, I'll keep an eye out. And he's like, I'm going to watch uh, Quark because he always makes his phone calls, his illicit right. dealings at a certain hour, right? So then they are watching Quark. Quark makes contact with his old Cardassian friend, they share a few laughs, he asks them to track down this, you know, this material, this device, something that a client wants, um, passes the code to him, the guy enters the code, sets off some kind of alarm, and now it alerts us that whatever it was that Garrick was asking for is under the Ooh. purview of the Obsidian Order. It's the first time we've ever heard right. the name Obsidian Order. <laughs> and I love the name Obsidian Order. It's, it's like my yeah. favorite spy spy name. 
Um, it's like, you know, you briefly think we're saying, like, why can't ours buy group B? <laughs> the CIA, really? Y'all couldn't find something else to name yourselves? But <laughs> whatever. We'll get back to that. I promise, because it's been on my mind. So anyway, now that Odo knows that the Obsidian Order is involved, he kind of relays to Bashir that the Obsidian Order is a big deal. They're the most ruthless, cunning, conniving spy master group ever. They're better than everybody else. Even the Romulans can't right. touch them. He says, you know, so now that they know that this is something that has to do with the Obsidian Order and this means that Garrick may or may not be a spy. Now they just like that. We, we have no choice. We kind of have to go back to the source, go to Garrick, try to figure this out. Bashir goes to Garrick's quarters and finds him about to inject himself with a very large dose of some kind of numbing agent, yeah. which apparently could have killed him. He uh, he's already taken at least one dose from what we understand. He's about to give himself another one. The doctor intervenes. He um, is asking Garrick why he's trying to punish himself. He brings up the punishing device. Garrick kind of laughs it off at first, but then he finally reveals what the device was for. That when he was a spy, he was entrusted with information. The device was designed so that in the event he gets captured and tortured, he can switch on the device, which would produce large amounts of endorphins, and it would right. basically wash away his pain. Um after living on the station in exile for so long, everything about the station bothers him. So he has turned on the device and never turned it off. And now, after all this time, his brain is deteriorating. And that's what we've been seeing is these kind of, you know, attacks, right. basically. Um, they then talk about why Garrick was exiled. Garrick relates a story about him killing a bunch of people um, in order, and, you know, falling under the guise of a soldier following orders. And even though he killed a bunch of people, the thing he regretted the most was that one of the people that was on the ship that he uh, that he blew up was apparently the daughter of a very prominent official in the Cardassian government, and that led to right. his exile. Um, Bashir basically doesn't necessarily absolve him of the of the crime, but he's just like, I don't really care about that. You're dying. I'm here to help you. I'm your doctor. Don't worry about all that stuff. Let me get you through this. So Garrick agrees, and they start the process of detoxing him. Because essentially that's what it is. They've turned the device off. It's no longer producing the endorphins. And now his body's kind of got to dry out from all that stuff. This is a very exhaustive process. Gar uh, Bashir never leaves uh, Garrick's side. Odo arrives, tries to talk to, um, wants to talk to Garrick. Odo refuses. <laughs> right. uh, sorry. Bashir refuses, sends Odo on his way. Um, Garrick wakes up. He then tells yet another story about right. why he was exiled. This one involving a, a former friend soldier named Elam and how he ultimately um, killed Elam. And because he killed Elam, that's why he was exiled. We then get yet another story where instead of him having killed Elam, it was still the whole, they killed someone else, but he was, this is now he's the spy, they were the, the dueling spy masters, basically. They were known as the Sons of Tain, both trained by the greatest spy right. master ever, Anabrin Tain. And they were so great and so wonderful, and everybody knew that these two were just, you know, the sky was the limit for both of them. Then something happened, and Garrick was kind of, it was kind of up in the air as to who did what. Was it Garrick? Was it Elam? Didn't know. 
Garrick had decided that he was going to try to implicate Elam in order to save himself, only to discover that Elam had already was already one step ahead of him and had already laid a trail right. that led back to Garrick. Um, this led to his I- exile. Um, so now we have three different stories at this point as to why Garrick has been exiled. Bashir doesn't really know what to think of all this stuff, but he does know that despite their best efforts, Garrick is still dying. Something is still wrong with his body chemical imbalance or whatever. So he decides there's really nothing he can do except using some of the clues from some of the stories that Garrick told him, go track down the legendary spy master himself in Auburn Tain. He finds Tain, uh, speaks with Tain about the situation. And Tain is basically like, I'm not going to help you. Like I, it's great to see you. I, you know, I'm, you know, he tells him some stuff about Garrick a little bit, but he's basically like, yeah, at the end, I'm not going to help you. And so then Garrick is like, this is all because of some Bashir, guy named Bashir. Elam or whatever, yeah, yeah. to which yeah. Tain, Bashir, sorry, Bashir is like, you're, this is all because of some guy named Denobrantain and whatever else. And so, of course, this leads to Denobrantain's grand reveal of uh, it, Elam is actually Garrick's first name. So there is no right. Elam. Right. It's Elam Garrick. That's that's the guy. So he's kind of once again Garrick. Even in his manic state, his dying state, right. the man still can't seem to tell the truth or give a straight answer to anything. No, no, no. He doesn't. He, he, he gets the lycosides, the, the 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 chemical in his brain that's not working properly. He needs the the working ones. And in Auburn yes. Tain says, "I want him to suffer in exile, so I will help you help." solve this problem so he can continue to live on the station and that's be tortured right. by his existence in exile. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Mm-hmm. All right. So that happens. They get back to the state. He gets back to the station. He uses the information that he knows to try to cure Garrick. It starts to not work, but he realizes they needed to make a slight alteration to it last minute. Does so. Now it works. Garrick is fine. He's on the road to recovery. They have their last little meeting in what I assume is the reprimand. It doesn't look like right. Garrick's, or not Garrick's, but Quark's. Uh, man, that name is really like on my brain. Like it's, <laughs> not, it's replacing like everything else. Um, uh, they're having their last meeting, and basically Bashir is asking Garrick what was true, what was the lie. Garrick tells him, basically, some of it is true, some of it is false. I'm not going to tell you it's which. All it's all true, up especially the lies. And yes especially the lies so you kind of have to piece together what's what and we will get to that as well because there are a couple of different theories and i have my own um but yes that is essentially the plot of the episode there are some pretty cool moments in there i think garrett gives a great performance in one of them again something we'll get to later but as always go watch it go watch it and then uh tell us what you think yes we'd love to hear um... from you so what did you think? What did you think of this episode? Yeah, this is an interesting one. So Garrick is a character who, um, since we first met him, uh, has been just an interesting conundrum, a, a mystery wrapped in an enigma. You know, he um, we think we learned something about him only to find out that we haven't really learned anything. Instead of answering our questions, we just have more questions. Um, and this episode is another one of those where we get answers, we get something revealed, but it... it, it brings up even more questions. He's not just some guy who's, you know, exiled on the station. No, he was apparently once high up in Cardassia's 
Obsidian Order. You know, the the men in the Cardassian Order, the the, the, uh, the Obsidian Order, everyone was afraid of them, including Central Command. So the fact that he has been exiled and that he was the son of Ibrin Tain and that Ibrin Tain now hates him and says he deserves to be in exile. Like, oh man, what kind of questions do we have now? I mean, there's a whole history uh, behind Garrick that we had no uh, we had no idea and uh, now we know more and um, mm -hmm. real quickly I want to make sure that we get the three stories he tells right did, did you say that the second one in the second story he says he was interrogating some children some Bajoran children about something and he was getting hungry and tired and bored and frustrated so he let the children go and that's how he got punished that's his second version of what happened and then the third version of what happened is the whole right. he and his friend Elim were both the sons of Tain, and they both decided to conspire against each other secretly. But uh, Elim got to him and got Garrick before With Garrick hit Elim, and it's like Garrick is saying, "I, re I, I regret even attempting to betray my friend, and so I kind of deserve this exile for attempting to betray him." And then we find out because of Ibrahim Tain's re revelation that he is Elim. So it's like a, an allegory for something, but it's kind of hard to say what, because it turns out he was Elim. So <laughs> I always took it as potentially an yeah. allegory for betraying himself, like because especially the way he splits it up and his, his ability to dissemble, of course. It almost sounds like, you know, he at one point became overly ambitious and instead of kind of sticking to where he was having success perhaps he tried to do something else that led to his downfall and ultimately it was just you know if if he had never done that if he just kind of stayed the course his right. life would be right. vastly different than what it is so so yeah that is that is one you know one aspect of it for sure um and as i said there have been a lot of theories over the years as to what really happened to get um right. Garrick exiled, you know, and um I've I've always thought and I'll reveal my <laughs> my theory anyway, that based upon based upon what we know of Garrick so far and what interactions we've seen with Garrick so far, I believe that at one point the he's basically using the name Elam as a right. way of talking about somebody else without giving away who that somebody else is. And I've always felt that somebody else oh, was okay. Gold Dukat. Um, and so my reason for that is if you watch all the lead-up moments and the few interactions those two have, um, they hate each other. Right. They, they absolutely despise each other. There's a weird sense of like uh, maybe a little bit of respect, you know, like a, a, at least a, a whole um, – they know more right. about each other than they ever really let on. And it seems like they both delight in each other's suffering. They don't do enough to really directly knock the other person. But whenever something happens that makes them hurt or suffer in some way, they delight in it. And we've seen them both warn other people about the other one. Garrick has, you know, he said, you know, don't trust Ducat for a second. And Ducat has said, don't turn your back on him. So to me, it says these are two people who have intimate knowledge about each other. And so that's why I think the story of them being two spy masters under the, under right. the tutelage of Inabrantain, you know, Garrick was the consummate spy, whereas Ducat was right. the sleazy politician. 
And he comes off as kind of that sleazy politician. He played the political game well, which is why when it was all over with, he was still able right. to maintain his standing versus the spy who always existed in the shadows and didn't have as right. many okay. connections. And also probably had a level of fear. People knew who he was and were more fearful of him versus the more outwardly facing, visible right. Gold Ducat. You know, better the devil you know in this case. And Garrick always right. positioned himself as more of an unknown. So that's I think that was what ultimately led them to believing anything Gold Ducat said against him, which would have led to his exile. Now, why also... Um, in Auburn Tain saying he wants him to live and suffer because I believe that he that in Auburn Tain is Garrick's father and that he is upset that you know because he, again he's a legendary you know he's a, he's the Obsidian Order he's, right. the, he's the head of the organization and so I think it bothered him that his son was outmaneuvered and outclassed by the politician Ducat. And whatever it was that initially led to the downfall, he's not so much upset about that so much as he's upset about his son so you, not learning his lessons well. And so he's he's like, I want you, I want him to live, I want him to suffer, to forever be reminded of right. his mistakes, his failings, how he didn't do. So are you, th- are you saying you think that basically Garrick is literally the son of of Tain, or was that just a, a you know a, a name for him? You know, it's a. Yeah. No, I think that the moniker the Sons of Tain was something that was, you know, extended to the other right. person, in this case Gold Ducat, because they were always together. It was known that Tain right. had at least one son. And so you know how it is when you like you have two friends who hang out all the time, you know, and then you know the uh, you know, I've I've had that own experience in my own life, you know, old, my my friends and their fathers being like, "Well, yeah, that's that's my other son because we were always together. We were always, you know, so that kind of thing is what I think was going on and happening with Gold Ducat and okay. Garrick. And but the only actual legitimate son of Inabrin Tain gotcha. okay. was Elam Garrick. Alright. Well, I mean, I would certainly say that if you're if you're saying that Gold Ducat was also a son of Tain and and therefore they had a kind of a rivalry that really does explain things like the episode Cardassians, you know, season two, episode five Cardassians. Mm-hmm. That's the episode where um, a Cardassian boy who had been left and raised on Bajor. Uh, yeah. His Cardassian father is notified that he's in existence and he comes to you know reclaim his son. And, and as part of Go the trial where Cisco determines where the boy is going to be placed, Gold Ducat shows up. And is like, ah, I, I got one over off on the civilian here. This uh, He was apparently, you know, they were kind of against each other. And then throughout the episode, Garrick and Bashir are unwinding the mystery of why this boy was left on the planet. And it turns out that seems, well, it's, it's insinuated heavily that Gold Ducat kidnapped the boy and intentionally left him on Bajor to humiliate this uh, Cardassian civilian leader uh and that episode ends with that civilian leader mm-hmm. saying i'm not going to reveal the truth of what happened here because this is it's so humiliating for me to have lost and abandoned my son that even though it was all gold ducat's fault i'm not going to do anything but garrick is super pleased at having snubbed and and, and humiliated uh, yeah. gold ducat and ruined his plans so because yeah 
because the plan that that Ducat was attempting to concoct was to embarrass Padar because uh, Gotan, Gotan Padar, the father in that case, was the leader of the civilian government and had ultimately cast the vote right. that got the the Cardassians right. to leave Bajor. And so his plan was to later embarrass Padar and then and also call that whole situation into question and also elevate his status a bit. Garrick was pleased because it not only did that not happen, but it forced a stalemate between Padar and Dukat. Right. And Dukat could do nothing about it. And so he was just thrilled that that ruined his plan. It didn't do anything to elevate his status at all. But because, yet again, it undermined Dukat and his machinations, right. he was thoroughly pleased to let the doctor kind of steal the spotlight and, you know, level out all the intricacies of how uh, Cardassian bureaucracy yeah, it was, works. Yeah, you know, essentially, we just came off of the two episodes of the Maquis, and you know, Gold Ducat was central to those episodes, and we really got to see how conniving and underhanded and and kind of planning he is. And he says, I think it's the second episode of the Maquis. He says to Cisco that you know, on ba or on Cardassia, we know that the outcomes of our trials are going to be beforehand. <laughs> And Cisco's like, well, they just came to me and said they're throwing you under the right. bus, so how do you think your trial's going to go? And he's immediately right. like, um, I have friends in high places, so maybe make a call or two. Um, exactly. Again, showing that kind of politician yeah. mindset. He's like, oh, I've got friends. Like, And he's like, I'm still willing to... And suddenly his, t his tone changed, and he was like, oh, right. yeah, I'm, I'm going to help you. But he also was like, I've still got people who would help me, but I right. still need to help myself a bit more. Well, I guess what I'm really getting at well though, is it really that shows situation. that Gold Ducat is really a schemer um, on a level that we would expect of a spy yeah. master. Like, if, if you're saying that Gold Ducat is yeah. one of the sons of Tain, which this episode did not necessarily reveal, but if that's part of it, um, then yeah, I, I, can, I would say I can see it that Gold Ducat is the more brazen, outgoing, open, in the spotlight you know, military leader type mm -hmm. while maybe Garrick was the more in the shadows, quiet schemer. And that the guy who was supposed to be the better schemer, the more, you know, underhanded, the more shadowy one got played by the more brazen one. Yeah. I can imagine he'd be a little pissed. <laughs> right. And again, for, for Inabrin, who, you know, he's probably been training his son for, you know, however long before he officially became a part of the Obsidian Order, for his son to be one-upped by this brash, loud, in-your-face right. military guy, it probably just, you know, right. yeah, irked him to no end, you know? And it's a bit of an embarrassment. His own personal black mark on an otherwise impeccable record as the head of the Obsidian Order is his son right. was the ultimate casualty. So, yeah. And and then it's like it's his son, and it's you know not necessarily through any fault of his own. Just he just didn't pay attention, didn't learn. So I could just see why that would be something that really kind of got at a person like Inabrintain. If you if we are to believe that he is as great as Garrick right. reports him to be, then to me it makes sense that the failing of his son to 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 miss such a thing, right. um, why that would bother him so much. Yeah. So yeah, huh. that's my now that's my theory. There have been a lot of other theories. There's there's people who believe that there was a whole other person named Elam who was killed, and Garrick just kind of took the name in some kind of weird 
memorial, you know, whatever. But I mean, Tane pretty much dismisses that because he's like, no, that's Garrick's first name. So that's that's done with. You could just say he was a kind of nobody character. Like, again, he was just still using the name to mean someone else who really did die. And we just never find out who that person is. But I would like to think that I that the writers wouldn't do that, wouldn't give us something so disconnected from the complexity of the story they're already weaving. To me, it just makes more sense that that Elam gotcha. is really golden okay. god. Okay. Well, I mean, you've seen more of the show, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not telling you, and I'm not telling you at all. And to be honest, there are certain things about this episode that really never get answered. So, I mean, that's one of the fun things about doing this. You know, as many times as I've seen the show, every time I watch it, you glean a little bit more from the episodes. And you can, yeah, you know, so, you know, and this is certainly, this is certainly one of those things, like, where does this fall? Which story is it that Garrick tells that that's the truth or not? You know, is it in some way all three? Is it just one? Like all that kind of stuff you can still do. So, um, yeah, Yeah. I really enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's great. To, I mean, you you've said that you know Garrick is gonna have a presence in the show, and that he almost becomes like a, a almost a permanent part of the cast on some level. Um, I don't know if you just told that to mm-hmm. me in private, or if you talked about that, or no, it's it's true. Yeah, he um, so he definitely does, and it's because of things like this. Like as we as we've indicated, you know, Garrick has popped up a couple of times in some scattering of episodes. That we've seen in both season one and season two. He always seems to know way more than what we would expect from him. And he always plays it so well. Andrew Robinson, the actor who plays um, Elam Garrick, he does a great job with his delivery. Although there's one little nitpicky thing he does that annoys me. Um, It's it's his (laughs) overpronunciation of certain words. And... He doesn't do he doesn't do it all the time, but every so often he'll get like there's it's like the word is stuck on his tongue and he's scraping it off with his teeth so you hear every single ending <laughs> bit of it and uh, that annoys me. But other than that, I think that Andrew Robinson gives a great performance, and because of the great performances that he gave, he does become more and more right. involved with the show. One thing I think is great about him, though, because this is something that you kind of expect when you see characters like that, that get incorporated into a cast of Starfleet officers, is that they become more and more, um, I guess, right. good yeah. or noble or whatever. Oh. Garrick doesn't do that. He he consistently rides that <laughs> line, stays in that, sorry. Uh, he stays in that shade of gray. That is the one spoiler I'll give you. Um, but but it's like it's frustratingly right. satisfying to watch. Gotcha. Uh, that's what I'll say because you you just you want it, and then when it doesn't happen, you're still gotcha. not disappointed. Well, I, I have to say that so, you know, I'm glad it works. that he stays around, even if he doesn't change. His, like he still stays in the gray area. In some ways, that's 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 fun because that means that um, it'd be too easy to make him good, right? Um, you know, he gets, he gets, Mm -hmm. he rubs off some, some of the Federation rubs off on him. Yeah. Um, but you know, the one thing I would say that the story hasn't had, um, is a card, a a consistent Cardassian character. Not, not like that. We don't, we have Gold Dukat, obviously, and we have Garrick here. I'm talking about like every episode, a Cardassian, um, 
you know, if, if Cardassia was the former occupiers and the relationship with the Cardassia and the Cardassians is so important, the fact that we only see the Cardassians kind of interspersed at times, I mean, it makes sense because they're no longer occupying, but on another side, it's like, well, does that mean that we should have them be the regular villains more often? Because they aren't always there to be the villain of an episode. Uh, they appear... Right. Regularly enough that they're not gone. Certainly, Gold Dukat is our regular Cardassian character. Yeah. Um, but if we have a consistent, you know, in every episode type character who's a Cardassian, and that person be Garrick, yeah, I'd, be, I'd okay, great, yeah. Yeah, the Cardassians are always kind of like lurking in the shadows, especially in these, you know, initial seasons here. Uh, definitely a kind of gone but not forgotten they do enough to keep popping up to let you know that you know they're they're around they're in the area they're always watching so there's a lot of things that are going on and we do have a lot of like bajor focused stuff which makes sense because the station is you know just a few hours away from bajor you know and the majority of the people working on the station are bajoran you know so it makes sense that we would get a lot of that but it's i always find it interesting because the the cardassians do kind of yeah. lurk yes. like reptiles you know in the in the shadows waiting to strike you know but um also i'm actually a fan of the cardassian aesthetic I, I love their stuff i love the cardassian design i love their cardassian computer terminals i don't love their military uniforms but other stuff that right. they have is is great and um, it's so it's so different from everything else that we see in Trek. And I don't think they've really stylized an alien race right. as well since. A lot of things nowadays, they tend to go with this more like ritualistic clothing, especially like if you want to, for best example of that, of course, would be the Vulcans. You know, everything about the Vulcans, they, it doesn't seem to have any bit of contemporary function everything that they wear that's not a uniform is always very ceremonial for some reason and it's kind of annoying and boring um, not that i'm sitting here trying to be all like mr fashion or whatever but i'm just like i like the stuff that looks like they right that you could really wear it right like that it would that i mean you might the colors might not be your choice but the overall look of the outfit oh, come on jake's onesies don't somewhere. fit that you know <laughs> I mean, they do if you're going to like a clown party or something. Had to say it. I had to say it. <laughs> Jesus. Or or you're trying to blend in on a 1970s Greyhound. They you know they would work there. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Jeez. I love you. I love you, Jake, but man, when Cisco he Ben just said yeah, wear whatever yeah. you want, and you took that and it's ran no with it. No sense of like, style. Hardcore. I mean, that, I guess that's the, I guess that's the drawback of uh, having a replicator that can make you whatever you want. It will make <laughs> you whatever you want. Right. So right. you get crazy things. <sighs> oh man. Well, uh, but yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you the classic question: What? What is your favorite um, I mean, scene? Stand up Well, let me let's talk about Bashir first because this is a Bashir episode in terms of our main cast. Like every other character, even Dax, yes. you know, Brian, they all got a scene. Uh, Quark, you know, and Odo get some moments, but they're just there to serve Bashir and the Garrick storyline. And uh, Bashir is great in the sense that you know he is our consistent doctor. He, if there's anything we can say about him, is he takes his duty as a doctor. Is uh, do no harm, takes care of his patients. 
uh, very seriously. And so this episode is about that. You know, Garrick is his friend in the sense that he wants to find out more about him, even though it seems half the time it's just Garrick using Bashir. Bashir doesn't seem to mind it. He enjoys, like, there was that one scene, I forget which episode it was, where Kira tells him to go watch Quark, and he's like, oh, Garrick's been giving me tips about, like, spy lessons, so I'll get to use my new lessons. So um, this episode follows Bashir. We have to see his his earnestness, that that kind of annoying Bashir earnestness, his his uh, willingness to, to do what's necessary to keep his you know patients safe and take care of them and and talk back to his patients when they are acting rationally. Mm-hmm. Um, but Garrick, hands down, uh, is part of the best part of this episode because, like, when Garrick loses yeah. it and goes on that rant, and uh, when he's in, you know, he's been unconscious for a long time, and Bashir knows that there's like a montage of Bashir throughout the night staying in the room and watching over him. When Garrick wakes up, he is angry, he is pissed, he's not his jovial, sarcastic weird wide-eyed version of himself he's the raw version of himself and you see the darker shadow side the one that raves and rants and that's yes that's him going through withdrawal the machine's been turned off in his brain it's no longer producing the endorphins this is just raw unfiltered undrugged up and uh, uh, remind me the actor who plays him again yeah, so he plays Andrew that Robinson. Car- he plays uh, Garrick fantastically in the, in those moments, and he's always been great. Like, I think the thing that stands out about him is his big big old eyes when he's smiling. He's he's got big old eyes. Now you realize why it's because he's been drugging himself constantly with endorphins. <laughs> he's he's currently on a high, and he's having a good time while he's talking with you. And so at the end of the this that room. That reminds me, going back to the episode Cardassians, remember when the doctor was woken up in the middle of the night and, and yes. uh, Garrick was oh, staring, right. standing yeah. over his bed with the wide eyes. And he's just like, what are you doing? And he's like, watching you get dressed. It's like, <laughs> yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> How did you get in oh, here? Yeah. So many questions. Yeah. And, uh, so many questions. Yeah. You know, he looks, what's so funny about that look of his big old wide eyes, he looks sort of innocent, sort of unthreatening when he does that he's he's wide-eyed he's he's happy to be there and now you find out no this man according to what he says in this episode he feels like he's being tortured just being on the station he hates his life and his existence yes and he says in that rant that like i'm so mad that like all i have to look forward to is our dinners together and that i actually do look forward to them (laughs) um and so at the end of the episode when he supposedly is cured uh, he comes back and he's wide-eyed again and he's happy to have dinner and he's asking Bashir, how's your pudding? And um, so it's like, you know, this this whole episode is supposed to be like, a, oh, it's a deep dive into who Garrick is and his backstory. And then at the very end, it's like he hasn't changed, as you seem to indicate that he's never going to change. Right. Um, even when he gets his drug input implant thing fixed and no longer on he's still kind of the same person um so yeah so i mean so i guess maybe i was a little heavy-handed when i said that he never changes i i would say that he does a great job of always keeping you okay guessing, right which makes it enjoyable 
You know, it's not – he does some things, and you're like, great, he's finally on our side. Then he does some things, and you're like, oh, my God, what are you doing? And then, you know, it's just – it's this weird right. back and forth, you know, that um, that especially when, you know, he's paired up with people like, you know, Captain Sisko and Odo and, and you know, and they're all running around. Uh, you know, it's um, – right. it's interesting to right. watch him with them you know and as again i've said plenty of times like there is already something about the combination of cisco and odo in a scene together but then it becomes if you add cisco odo (laughs) and almost anybody else the way those scenes play out they're fantastic cisco odo and quark that's probably the the yes the golden trifecta but after that i'm gonna say garrick like take out quark put in garrick and those three right i just it's something else you know, and unfortunately, you right. just don't get many of those scenes. And um, even with Odo and what little we saw him in this episode, he was great. He was just, you know, he wanted to come in and um, interrogate uh, Garrick when right. he was, you know, basically unconscious. And he was like, wake him up. I've got questions to ask. <laughs> but she was like, no. And he's like, uh... And the, and I love I love the ending of that scene because, you know, Odo eventually gives up and walks away. But he stops at the end of the corridor looks back right and then just kind of shakes his head and keeps going and i've always believed that in that moment he was saying like you know basically if he could read his mind right then he was saying you know i could shapeshift <laughs> and go through that door if i wanted to right like i that's yeah. that's always what i felt was going through his head in that moment right. i could get in there if i wanted to was just to. being nice asking you can't you. stop me <laughs> right and then another great Odo scene for me is, you know, uh, same this episode again, and it's where Bashir and Odo are watching Quark talk to Bohika, contact. his Cardassian um, in contact. And Bashir says, you don't have one of these in my quarters, do you? And instead of being like, no, I only spy on, you know, criminals or whatever like that, Odo's just like, (laughs) do I need to? Right, should I? Like, turns it around. I I just, I love how he's always like, not quite trusting of anybody and just always kind of putting you back on the defensive. No matter what you say, he's right there to instantly (laughs) challenge you and be like, yeah, you're not not giving an inch. Um, the other thing, Love the other it. comment yeah. that uh, Garrick, I'm sorry, yeah, Garrick makes to Bashir during his rant is he's like, has anyone ever told you you're like an annoying, you know, nosy something or other? And he's like, yeah, O'Brien tells me all the time and I'm going to ignore you like I ignore him, um, <laughs> which I just love. It's, you know, it's like Bashir. The question about Bashir is, is, is he self-aware that he's kind of annoying? Um a little spoiler alert, I, I started the next episode, and at the beginning of the next episode, he and Kira <laughs> are on, a, on the runabout, and yes, uh, it's on a like runabout. he's not self-aware at all about Definitely. how annoying he is. So it's kind of funny, it's like in this yes. episode he is, and it's be in that episode, which I have not watched any further, because I, I got a little bit further in, I was okay. like, no, we're recording this episode, I gotta stop. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, Bashir is... I, I believe I believe that he has he has moments where he's aware of it, but then I also believe that he is so yes sincerely naive that he is oblivious to other things that are going on. So it just like he kind of he starts off being aware, yes. but then once you get yes. him going, talking about something that he really really knows, right. then he just kind of well, loses he's it. He's just he's just in it, man. He's 
that's his that's his annoying quality. Yes. He knows yes. he's right about whatever it is, and therefore, you know, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. <laughs> well, and on that point, I will give him credit that while yes, he always speaks like he knows everything. He knows the answer a hundred percent, whatever it is. Almost always that's about medical stuff. He's never talking about like command or engineering or or other stuff like that. Not really. He he really no, that's does fair. tend to stick in with those, in those moments, medical that's related true, but things. Again, I'll just go ahead and give a little, I guess a sneak peek to the next episode because in the in the at the beginning of the next episode, it's about breathing exercises, and he's talking with Kira, and suddenly he won't shut up. He has to like show her everything he knows when she just wants so quiet. And then the racquetball scene with O'Brien, it's not that he is someone who knows racquetball. No, he was on the winning team of racquetball. So it's like, if he knows a subject, he knows it. And he knows it better than you. <laughs> he's like, well, yeah. Well, I mean, he he's like a little kid. I don't know how many people listening may have this experience or if you have this experience at all. But like, if you, if you ever talk to a kid who's just mm. learned something new, they don't shut up. They keep going about whatever it is. They'll, they right. even repeat themselves. They can't help it. They're so excited right. about whatever that thing is, and they just want to go on and on and on. And you're like, <laughs> dude, I'm 34. I'm 37. I know this already. Like you're you're not telling me anything that I also. And so you're kind of you're kind of trapped, kind of like again to go into a little bit of a sneak peek of the next episode, yeah. like Kira was. And you have no choice but to listen and acknowledge, and you're not trying to be rude and shut them down because they're a kid, and you want them to be excited and whatever else. But at the same time, it's just like, man, in your head, you're like screaming and imagining just how far you <laughs> could throw them. Perry, I never no thought like watching. that. Like, I think you need to go see a psychiatrist. <laughs> well, no, no. As a as a person who um, who oh. threw things a lot, you know, with weightlifting, and I did you know shot put and all sort of kind of stuff. I have to admit there are plenty I guess of times where I, I wondered, think you know about what? Those kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, it's it's. I'm not going to deny there were times where I was like, I wonder how far I could throw that person. Like, so, it's, the, it's, so the question it's of, occurred. I, I will admit, I've had I those thoughts. Throw them was actually something you contemplated the actual answer to. <laughs> I can't. Yes. What's the distance? What's the true distance? I trust I you as throw far as <laughs> there was a time uh, that far. <laughs> right. I bet I could hit you. I could bet I could hit you on that bar over there. Oh man, I hope you never thought about that when we ever worked so, together or anything like that. Like secretly, in the back of your head, you were like, "I wonder." No, okay. <laughs> so, so not a not about you, but about people uh, that like came yeah. in where we were working and would ask us the most inane questions or their kids would be running around or dogs or whatever it was. Yeah, I can admit there are several times where I just, you know, kind of got lost in the abstract thought of, yeah, no one was in here. Yeah. I could if kick I you right through that job, glass, <laughs> you know? That, I'll just quick side note. Mm -hmm. Did I tell you about the time? I probably have. But I'd tell you about the time where this lady walked in with her poodle and she was, like, fully expecting that I was basically going to hold her dog while she tried out beds. I mean, I did because it was a no. poodle and it wasn't. Um, well, I mean, and you I did think it. she did buy. Wow. So I think it was like it worked out. But it was one of those moments where, like, I literally asked her as like, I was like, 
you you expect me to hold your dog while you try out the beds and she like she hadn't quite really thought through the question but it was basically she assumed it and i was like well if this dog pees on me i'm gonna be pretty pissed but it didn't happen it was a well-behaved dog and things worked out but there was definitely that moment of like really this uh this is happening this is someone who you know came in to do you know a regular everyday thing of shopping and like the dog being there is a full part of her expectation like where else has this happened am i the only one <laughs> so i remember i remember when a lady came in with her dogs but she had them in a oh, uh, baby stroller. And I I didn't know how to react. Because, you know, you're always, you're always trying to be so polite and friendly. And I leaned down to see what I thought was a child, only to see there were like three dogs in there. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. Right. Now, she never took them out, thankfully. But, I mean, there were dogs in there. And I know people love their animals. And I'm not in any way yeah. against animals. Just want to say... But people who treat their pets like people <laughs> yeah. bother me. I'm a pet dad. That bothers me. You mom. can love on your animal. Uh. Yeah. You can, <laughs> oh. you can love on your dogs and your cats and your parakeets and whatever else you got all you want to. But stop for the love of everything. Please stop comparing them right. to right. children. They are not children. They will never be children. You won't go to jail if your <laughs> dog... Falls out of a window. Crazy other story. I, I think I've told you this one too, but I'll tell it, right. I'll tell it now on, on, on recording. Um, I had a, c- a couple come in. And this is a couple months ago. They didn't bring their dogs into the store, but they told me, I think they were kind of recently married, even though they were in their probably like late 50s, 60s. And they each had a poodle. Again, poodles. You know, whatever that is. But they wanted, they liked having the dog sleep in the bed, but they wanted to have their own dog in their own bed. And they already had a, like a king, but they wanted to buy two full-size mattresses with adjustable bases, which for anyone who's listening, like spend several thousand dollars and in order for say, each one of them purchase. to have their own individual bed with which they could sleep with their own poodle. And like, you know, it's one of those moments when in, in retail where you don't ask questions like that. You, they 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 said they want to spend money and you yeah. got your head yes I will take your money. <laughs> so in this instance, what David is saying is he gave in to his inner Ferengi. Quark would have been very took happy. Took the money with my, and ran yeah. and didn't ask. He would have been ple- In fact, he would have been rules of acquisition number one. If they offer money, clothes. don't deny them the chance to give it to you. <laughs> Actually. Rule of acquisition number one is once you yeah, have their well. money, never give it back. <laughs> yeah. So no refunds. No refunds. No refunds. Exchanges. Yes. Substitutions are. Uh, what's the? It's Robin Williams in Aladdin as the genie. No refunds. Exchanges. Uh, oh. Substitutions or something. I, uh, he says four things so fast. I can't even remember. Anyway, but um, yeah. Going back to the episode. Garrick is the the standout uh, as the as the one who like we see the most of him. The acting he gets to give is the most uh, most mm-hmm. varied, most most you know, especially that scene where he's ranting. Bashir is our lovably frustrating and annoying but endearing doctor, uh, and he plays his part to perfection. 
and everyone else gets to kind of have a, you know, they say their one or two lines and then they got to go home for the week. So. I feel like, well, this is a great episode. I feel like there's one aspect right. of it that I wish we'd gotten more of. And that is learning more yeah. about the Obsidian Order. Now, now it works that we don't hear much about them because they're a spy agency. Of course, you don't expect to hear too much, but just the name alone inspires so much right. mystery and intrigue. Like again, CIA does nothing for me. I don't care. Central Inter- Intelligence Agency, great, boring. Another three-letter acronym, something or another that we have in the government. Why can't our government <laughs> name things cool stuff like Obsidian Order? You know, after listening, after watching this episode, I actually looked up Obsidian, and you know, you can buy Obsidian crystals, and you can buy Obsidian mirrors, and all kinds of stuff, all on all on Amazon and, right. and Etsy and all the rest of them. And I have to admit. There was a part of me that was like, I suddenly <laughs> want a lot of obsidian stuff because it just yeah. it just looks so cool. This blacker yeah. than black rock, shiny, and it's like it's super smooth. But then if you chip it, like anywhere that it's chipped, it's immediately Ooh. a sharp angle. Yeah. It all cuts. It all holds its edge so well. Like all this stuff, and I was just like, seriously, I'm reading about obsidian. I'm thinking about ordering <laughs> obsidian. So I'm like, man. Like they, whoever, whoever picked that as their name was great and great, yeah. great idea. And, you know, before them in next generation, we always heard about the Romulans and their spy mm. group, the Tal Shiar, which, Hey, right. that's a, a great name as well. Um, not going to knock it, but there's just something about right. the obsidian order. When yeah. you hear it, that I'm just like, well, oh, okay. it's a, it's actually like you know, well, it's an English here. word, English language. We understand obsidian order. Yeah, it has you know, Tal Shiar sounds great. The the consonant sounds sound great, but I have an I have a visual obsidian order. I know what that looks like. So yeah, you're right. It it sounds awesome. Yeah, FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation, and Central Intelligence Agency doesn't have quite the ring to it. <laughs> It almost sounds like, or seems like, our government did the opposite. Instead of trying to sound intriguing or mysterious, they intentionally <laughs> tried, yeah, especially not badass. They they tried to sound um, right. plain. Knock, 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 it's the FBI innocuous. versus knock, 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 it's you the know? Obsidian Order. <laughs> Oh well, let's let's be honest. The Obsidian Order doesn't <laughs> knock; they're already in there. They're already in your house, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. So you know, well, we got all of them: the FBI, the CIA, the DEA, the ASPCA, right. like all of the things, right? So they're just, and again, you just you lose yourself in letters. Whereas the Obsidian Order, uh, you stay at attention there. You know, Perry, you I'm going to say this one thing. But yeah. And it's if someone takes it out of context, it could sound really bad. So you can't take it out of context. But if there was okay. one thing the Nazis did right, it was call their troops stormtroopers, right? Yeah, yeah, stormtroopers. Eh. Wow. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, I've now lost my um, career, my my reputation. Yeah, I'm going to say. Um, so, everybody, that's the last episode of The Fire Caves with David. Tune in Chris next week when we have everybody. a different guest host. Who, oh, um, gosh. <laughs> Oh. <sighs>
Chris, Jordan, somebody batter up, man, because uh, uh, David's gone. Anyway. But, David's gone. Yeah, yeah. Pretend that never happened oh, in the last man. 60 seconds. <sighs> <laughs> no, it's recorded. They're going to hear this. Um. So final thoughts on The Wire and Garrick and crew. And what yeah, they, yeah. What they were up to. I think this is a great episode in the sense of um, learning more about Garrick and just finding him fascinating. Learning more about the Cardassians. I think that's part of it. Learning about the Cardassians. They are the the background villains, the ones that we love to hate, but we don't mm-hmm. always have a lot of reasons to know why to love to hate them. Um, other than, I mean, they've tortured Picard and O'Brien was in a war with them, but you know, like the war with them is in the past and it was off screen. And right now they have, you know, retreated from the station. And so they're just a presence. Um, we get, we see the, excuse me. And they're interesting. And, uh, I love the, the makeup, but, uh, Garrick as a character gets to, he, he gives us an insight to the Cardassians and, uh, at the same time allows us to theorize and, and, you know, you know, ask questions about them. And even if we never get all the answers, sometimes it's actually okay. It's actually fun sometimes to not have all the answers. Um, thank you, Star Wars, for answering all the yeah. questions. Uh, so, yeah, anyway. That's just because they ran out of originality. So now it's just all about trying to explain right. things because no one could come up with anything else. No more forward movement. It's all let's let's backtrack Inane. and answer the most... Yeah. Again, and yeah, inane thread. Let's pull that little thread right. there and then cut it off entirely. Right. So, you know. But yeah, um, I mean, Star Trek is guilty of that in some levels, too. I mean, you can't help it when you're... It seems like you can't help it when you are a part of a any franchise that's lasted for as long as either Star Wars or Star right. Trek has. Um, but at least I feel like Star Trek is trying to learn from its mistakes and is moving stories forward like we see now with... Um, Discovery now being in the 32nd century with Picard moving past next generation and into the next phase of Jean-Luc's life, the final phase of Jean-Luc's life. Um, With um, shows like Prodigy and Lower Decks, they're moving forward. They're progressing in the timeline instead of always regressing. Now, of course, there is the standout with that. Strange New Worlds is firmly a story that is a and as all sets of purposes, it is a prequel story. It's before Kirk and you know, right. before Kirk was Kirk, basically. You know, so I mean, they they do their own original stories. Don't get me wrong, but that is still before what we know right. is going to come next. So I'm um, I'm anticipating some kind of rewrites on hmm. some of that stuff too. Some revisionist corrections of some things that were highly dated, considering they were originally filmed in the '60s. So I figure there's going to be some kind of adjustment for that. And there's even a debate as to whether or not they should do anything like that. Like, you know, Star Trek was always a progressive show, but they were often limited by the fact that it was a show that was filmed in the 60s. There was only so much they could do and get away with. And, um, you know, some people feel like we should, now that we have the ability, kind of correct those things. But some people, like myself, feel like we shouldn't because it's a great way to reference just how much we have changed and developed, um, you know, by being able to go back and look at that stuff and be like, again, for even for as progressive as a show as Star Trek was, they obviously had a lot of limitations that were there because of the right. culture in which the show was originally filmed. 
And so now it's a great way to see how we've progressed from there and see what progress right. still needs to be made from there, you know? Um, but yeah, going back and trying to fix it and make it like we were always perfect, I think that's, you know, that's a problem. And I mean, and that was also obviously be the problem with any kind of revisionist right. history. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But as always, guys... Uh, this is the Fire Caves. The and my Star final Trek episode. Caves 9 podcast. <laughs> um, and David's final episode. Um, which coincides with um, today being the last day that you could have watched Deep Space Nine on Netflix. Today is July 1st. So it's gone. Man. There is no more. Um, yes, you can now only watch all Star Trek on paramount plus that's where you have to go ahead and get your subscription and stuff i checked today the price is still like five well um depending on what you get it's like between 5.99 and like 7.99 if you go like the non-commercial route or whatever um but yeah that's where you're gonna have to watch it now i did not see that they had any bundles where like you could tie it in with like Hulu or something like that, but I'm sure right. that's probably coming down the pipeline. I think you can do that on Amazon right now, because like, I, I noticed that the new shows anyway, Picard, Strange New Worlds, things like that, they still popped up on Amazon, but they had the little mm. pay thing next to them, so you have to you know, buy them there to, to watch them. So just go ahead and get your Paramount subscription taken care of so that you can be ready to watch with us when we come back next week and talk about the crossover. next episode, which yep. is called Crossover, yep. if I remember correctly. And um, spoiler alert, that means it's a Mirror Universe episode. And also, spoiler alert, I don't know oh, like Mirror okay. Universe episodes. So we will get into that Got as it. well. But, <laughs> but anyway, after all that, again... My name is Perry, and I am one of the hosts for the Fire Caves, the Star Trek D Space Nine podcast. Will David be here next week? <laughs> Tune in next week to find out. As always, you can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. And again, find us and follow us on Facebook and Twitter as the Fire Caves. We'd love to hear from you. So until next time, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys. <laughs>